Welcome back into the Irish NFL show. Delighted to have a special guest on today from New York Daily News. Beat writer for the New York Giants, Pat Leonard. Pat, we met briefly in Arizona. It's great to have you on the show. We did discuss about potentially getting you on during the manic period, which is free agency. It's great to see you. Great to see you too, Brian. So great to meet you guys. Uh, Arizona, Phoenix was a great time. That was a great game. But the reason I'm always attending the Super Bowl events like that is hoping to not only reconnect with relationships, but also form new ones, people whose work ethic and content I respect. And you certainly fall in that category. I'm grateful to have met you there and uh, to start this relationship and this dialogue about NFL football across the pond. Well, Pat, personally, as a Giants fan, I, I've been following your stuff for, for years. Like, when you live this side of the world and the time difference, you, you get up at early in the morning, which is the night for you, and you're always trying to catch up on the latest New York Giants news, what you put out and, and the way in which you cover the team throughout the course of your time covering them has been fantastic. Like, it's We've, it's far cry from years ago when I started sporting the Giants in 1986 and you're getting snippets of information in papers this side of the world and some days you have to wait you know, a day and a half to get the result of a game. Like the world has moved on dramatically. But you, you do a fantastic job covering the Giants. So Thank you. To credit you. Where credit is due. I'm going to, we'll come to the Giants. Obviously, there's been some good, good work done over the past week with Joe Shane between recontracting Daniel Jones, the, the tag for, for Saquon, obviously this week within the free agency tapering period, but you, you are um, impressed with a lot of connections to Notre Dame and, and this evening in, in Dublin there's a, a launch party for the big game which is coming the end of August. I, we tried to explain to you, I suppose, briefly the enormity of this game for the Irish people. This mm. this always been, this is the first time a game has been sold through, through a lot, essentially a, a, lot of, a lottery where you put in an application, you'll find it on the 3rd of April whether you've been successful and you'll be given the opportunity to purchase two tickets. Last year, Nebraska, Wisconsin had 40,000 at the game in a stadium that holds up to around 50,000. But it was still a fantastic event. We got a great game. But it was always in the background this year, really is the big one. You've got Notre Dame coming. Five players are over this week. I mean, from your standpoint, obviously you recognise the, how the game has evolved, even within the, inter- in the NFL with the International Series. But to have Notre yeah. Dame come over here, it's huge for the economy, it's huge for for everything your, your thoughts on the, as a whole yeah well first of all my first thought is there won't be 10,000 empty seats like you said there were last year <laughs> every seat will be filled the interesting thing about the lottery you mentioned is Notre Dame is well familiar with the lottery system because that's actually I was a student at Notre Dame I graduated in 2006 lived in Dillon Hall and um, when I was a student they you have a lottery system there too as you graduate from Notre Dame Every year you get a letter in the mail to reconfirm your participation in the lottery. And so even as an alumnus of the university, you go into this system, uh, this lottery system where you mark all the games you want tickets for, and then you rank which tickets and which games you would prefer over others if you don't win certain ones. And so things are awarded that way, and that's kind of how it gets divvied up. The reason I bring that up is because it just reflects the enormity of the demand for a ticket to any Notre Dame game, as you know, Notre Dame Stadium, even when they go on the road. But for them to play in Ireland, I'm sad to say I still have not made a Notre Dame game in Ireland. I need to correct that. Maybe I can correct that this year. But the the fact that they are able to call Ireland home for a weekend and the fact that they are embraced everywhere, but nowhere more than overseas and playing against Navy. And that's obviously a whole nother tradition in and of itself. Uh, the Notre Dame University continuing uh, to play, or Navy is rather, continuing to keep Notre Dame on its schedule and that longstanding tradition. What it comes down to, Brian, is there's so much tradition rooted in Notre Dame football that you have Navy football and you have them um, really kind of coming to you as the the football program in the university that recognizes that it doesn't just have a national appeal, it has a worldwide appeal. And I think that's one thing Notre Dame does great, not just in sports as well, but as a university, as an academic institution, it has tentacles and outreach throughout the world to try to make a difference and to try to have a presence. Uh, but that's one thing I can tell you. You know, if the stadium seats 50,000, there's going to be 50,000 fans there, that's for sure. 
Oh, absolutely. I experienced it in 2012, the last time they were here. It was a fantastic event. And you're just saying it's the weekend. It's the enormity of the week itself. It's the time of year. The weather's still, you know, it's so nice. There's so many people coming over to tourism. It's great for the economy. It's great for the country. We interviewed the Lions long snapper, Scott Daly, last off-season. And he was with Notre Dame. He played in that particular game. And his grandparents are Irish. He was one of the players last year, if you recall, during the NFL prayer where you were allowed to have your your flag on your helmet. He had the Ireland flag on his helmet because he's a great heritage to Ireland. But he recognised afterwards the enormity of what he was involved in and the fact that he was over playing the game. It didn't really hit him until he got here and he played in the game and he went home and took time to reflect such a huge occasion for the country and for Notre Dame. So it's great. I, I really felt it was worth touching on that, Brandon, when you're your heritage to Notre Dame, so that's fantastic. Yeah, you're getting me fired up right now, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I'm, for, I'm fired up, and I have to say, because yesterday afternoon, around 5 o'clock Irish time, yesterday evening, the news breaks that the Giants have traded for, for Darren Waller. And just huh. reading through some of the reports yesterday evening, that, and again, you, you read all the reports, you don't know what's what's being speculated or what's true, but there was a feel that the Giants really weren't keen on any of the wide receivers that are available in free agency. We saw the contract, which was handed out to Jacoby Myers yesterday, ironically enough, going to the Raiders, you know, with the background of having been in with the Patriots and Josh McDonald's and Ziegler, the GM. Yeah. And they, they could have addressed it in terms of they really need to get a murky, we'll call him a receiver because he is arguably one of the top receivers in the league, albeit he's a, he's a tight end. Has had some health concerns as he didn't play a lot last year. Top five tight end in the league when he's healthy, when he's under the set, and it's it's a huge pickup. Bear in mind, it's not just about the player; it's about the contract. Like, but it looks of it, if it doesn't work out after a year, if he has injury concerns, if Joe Shane and Brian Dable don't utilize him in the way they feel they can, that essentially they could walk away from the deal next year without any massive cap hits. It's yeah. it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a big statement from from my perspective. The Giants haven't really gone into a kind of a trading industry like this for quite some time. Yeah, no, for sure. So you hit right on the head that even though he's a tight end, you have to view this if you're a Giants fan or an NFL fan as the Giants trading for a wide receiver because that's what Darren Waller is. He, as you said, one of the best pass-catching tight ends and really one of the top red zone wide receivers in the league when he is healthy. Now, I am concerned by his lack of availability recently. I mean, he's only played in 20 of 34 regular season games the last two years. Last season, his right hamstring bothered him. He ended up on injured reserve. There also was a sense, and I'll I'll get to everything here too, but there was a sense that when the Raiders gave him his three-year $51 million extension, it didn't take them long after that to regret giving him that deal. Um, Sometimes you're at a place for a long enough time, and you know the good times don't last. And so that seems to be the case there. It doesn't sound like he and Josh McDaniels got along very well. Um, and then even at the end, we see that it's reported that when Darren Waller just got married in early March, Josh McDaniels accidentally let it slip at the NFL Combine that he was getting married. Waller didn't want that made public. That upset him. So he's leaving Vegas kind of, uh, I guess, both sides want a change. For the Giants, that's a good thing, though it's a little bit interesting. He just gets married two weeks ago to his wife who plays for the WNBA team in Vegas. And now he gets traded across the country. So there's a lot going on for Darren Waller here to process. For the Giants football side, though, Daniel Jones needs more weapons. And Waller's size, strength, his hands, and his ability to run down the field, whether it's down the seam or on the outside, it gives them the kind of size and target, really, target radius when you talk about a receiver and how accurate do you have to be as a quarterback you know, Daniel Jones played very well last season. He's got all of his critics still. Do you have to be perfect on every throw? Or if you have a Darren Waller, can you give him a chance to make a 50-50 catch? And more often than not, he's going to make you look good. That's the kind of security blanket that Daniel Jones really hasn't had around here. Though, Brian, I would say I don't think the Giants are done here as far as upgrading the receiving core. I do think that giving $11 million plus to a tight end is a lot. But you pointed out well that the contract doesn't lock you in past this season. Now, the Giants could look at it as, well, we could commit to him for two years. We could restructure the contract, put a little bit more guaranteed money into the second year, spread out the cap hit, and then cut off those years afterwards so we have a little bit more security with Waller. So they'll have to handle that. 
the big picture I see here, Brian, that fascinates me is we went into this looking at it as a rebuild when Joe Shane and Brian Dable first got here and a long-term rebuild at that. And when Joe Judge was here, they had a little bit of glimmer of success in his first season where they nearly won the NFC East at a, with a 6-10 and 10 record. And the mistake the organization made at that point was they decided, we can win this division. Let's go all in. This is the time. Let's capitalize now. And they spent a lot of money. Obviously, that blew up in their faces. They weren't ready yet as a team. Now we have the Giants exceeding expectations in year one, 9-7-1. and one. They go to the playoffs. Suddenly, everyone in the building's looking around saying, hey, maybe we can do it. Maybe, maybe this is it. I think that Sheen and the Giants are measured. I do like the process that he works through, but I find it interesting that two of the three acquisitions they've made here, so Waller and Raheem Nunez Roches, they are both 30-year-old players. Okereke, the linebacker, is 27, I believe. I guess what I'm getting at is you look at this as they're going to keep adding young pieces and building for the future. These are moves to make the Giants team better right now. And I find that interesting, and I think it's no, it's no, it's no mystery why. The, the, the reason why is they paid Daniel Jones, they gave him a lot of money for these next two years, and now they feel like they need to help him in the immediate future. Yeah, I would agree with that in large parts, but there's also a part of him that says, looking from a fan standpoint, excuse <clears throat> me, the moves are, type, are strategic moves. You look, you look at the fundamental flaws that the team had last year. We didn't have a standout word of saver. They were they were getting gashed in their own game. You know, their run defense wasn't there. You know, I know Roches is a kind of a rotational player, but a defensive tackle that is solid in his own right. And then you've got it what probably was the most glaring need was a linebacker. You had Jalen Smith playing, he was inconsistent, you had other guys stepping in. Davis came in for the Lions who funny enough they've actually re signed for a year next year. But there was no pinpoint, there was no kind of pinnacle in that position. One player, whether he's the one with the green dot, I'm not necessarily saying oh Kerry will be that guy, but you look at his contribution on the calls in a difficult season and he was a standout player and sometimes when you play against a player he actually shows how good he is and that's actually some game which you, you remember him was the Giants blew the Colts out late in the season. He was arguably still playing 100% into that game in the fourth quarter when they looked like other players were down in tools. That's the type of thing I'm thinking is Shane and Dave will kind of pick it up on that and saying yeah these are players that can come in and make immediate impacts and I don't think it's like, I, I agree in the sense that they're a little bit older. I thought there might be some younger players brought in. I don't see it as an aggressive move. I still think it as it's f pieces of the jigsaw that need to be put together. And I was yeah. going to come to the wider receiver one next because there is a lot of things out there saying the joints aren't finished yet. But I agree. Where do you go now? Bear in mind what's being paid out. And to be honest, in free agency, players are always getting overpaid. So <laughs> where do they go now to find a wider receiver at the right price? Like, yeah. is, it a, is it a Paris Campbell? Like, I'm not going to even get into the Odell Beckham conversation. Like I'm not entirely sure where he's gone because it seems keeps coming out that he wants twenty plus a year, and like the the number stamp doesn't necessarily reflect what the cap move is. Yeah, but it's still a lot of money up front in terms of what's being speculated. Right. So to answer your question right off the bat, where do they go? Uh, I know that people around the league are interpreting the Giants' actions after the Waller trade. It, what they're hearing and how they view the Giants is that the Giants are done with major moves from a salary cap standpoint. So Okereke and Waller represent their two major moves financially. So that happens. They have their money committed to those players. That doesn't mean, though, they are done spending because obviously they do have cap room. And now you have to look at depth players. So you're looking at interior offensive line. You're looking at defensive line. And as you pointed out, you're still looking at wide receiver. Now, can they afford a, pa a Paris Campbell now that they've given that kind of money to Darren Waller? That remains to be seen. Um, I think if you're looking at significant moves for immediate contributors now, you might as well look as much at the NFL draft as you're looking at free agency. But they also do have a lot of internal free agents they still haven't gotten done. You have Julian Love at safety, who, at least as my understanding, they were still walking into free agency far apart on money. There was a belief going into the weekend that they were going to get close as the start of free agency arrived. That's going to depend on what kind of market Julian Love finds out there. My sense is that the, the money he wants isn't necessarily going to be there. 
but I'm not sure if he's going to come walking back to the Giants for a number he doesn't want either. So that'll be a, an interesting one to to follow. You got Jihad Ward at edge. You have John Feliciano on the in, offensive line. These are guys they like. They just want to get at the right price. Richie James is also a player they like, but he might make enough money to to uh, price himself out. Darius Slayton's a guy throughout this process. I heard from a lot of people they thought he was going to get a lot of money on the open market, and so the Giants weren't going to be able to afford him. That one will be interesting. Cole Beasley, I know, again, you know, 33, I think he is, so not exactly the name as a Giants fan you're thinking of when you're thinking of adding to this team, but somebody that Brian Dable knows very well, is very close to, and who the Giants tried to get last season but just had no money to do it. Um, so that's a player that I think you should continue to keep an eye on. Uh, by and large, though, Brian, I think you're on the right track with this is an important – these are important additions to fill gaps that existed on this roster. And I frankly I – can, I can tell you that money that Okereke got at inside linebacker, that's a lot of money. Um, that, that sticker shock didn't surprise me the Giants went and spent it because of how bad their need was there. But that was a lot. I did hear that they were pursuing the Eagles' TJ Edwards. Edwards ends up choosing the Bears. Can they they move over to Okereke? But like you said, fast. Wink Martindale always says, you know, if you have a slow linebacker, middle linebacker, you have a slow defense. Okereke is not slow. I've talked to people who say that he's very fluid, very athletic. They feel like he's going to um, augment their defense. And really, you hit the nail on the head. Their defense last year, first of all, was the main reason they got to the playoffs with that early stretch. But their run defense was so bad as the season went on, it really, it really compromised their ability to do so many things they wanted to do, whether it was not being able to control the ball on offense because they, they didn't have it, <laughs> or on defense, Wink Martindale trying to dial certain things up, but, but knowing that he didn't have the personnel to deter the run and force them to throw and bring those trademark blitzes. So... I like where they have attacked and addressed. And the final thing I would say is uh, corner is a major area of need here. Like a number one corner is a major area of need. Um, I would say keep an eye on the draft, maybe even that first round pick when it comes to the corner position uh, because the Giants have a desperate need at that position. Um, and just calling something up here, I, I did hear that they were taking a close look recently at Cam Smith of South Carolina, um, one player that they have their eyes on when the NFL draft comes around at the corner position. So I would uh, kind of file that one away as we get into April. Yeah, just in the corner position, I think they were fortunate last year that Dory Jackson kind of came back to the farm, which we saw when he was in Tennessee before signing them in free ages, and even the contract in which he got from Gettleman at the time was questioned because they didn't really feel there was many teams in for him. There was a talk from going to the Eagles and maybe that's why the Giants kind of kind of panicked slightly again that contract and everybody felt he overpaid but last season. And in fact, I think in a, in a strange way, him going out injured in that Lions game where he took the punt benefited him in the sense because he was when he was missing for those games, it was even more exposed in terms of... The yeah, they missed him. Yeah. Yep. But there's nothing really on the other side. That's the problem. You're rotating on the other side trying to kind of fill a gap, fill a need, and it's it's not there. So it doesn't surprise me that you're throwing out potentially a cornerback in, in the early stage of the draft. I just want to circle back to Julian Love for a second because I was reasonably confident, and I speak to other Giants fans, whether it's in the States or just decided the world that Julian Love would come back. He's always made it very, he's always been very, once outspoken, but he's made it very clear he really loves playing for the Giants and he loves the organization and he feels comfortable living in this area, in, in the area in which you're in. But I look at the Bengals in the past few days and I don't want to get too far away from different teams and getting away from the Giants, but the Bengals, he was two safeties in Bell and Bates. Gates, or, yeah. yeah, so one goes to the Panthers, one goes to the Falcons. And straight away I'm thinking, there's a, not only is there a need for one, they're going to find two safeties quite quickly in the next week. Is Does Julian Love then be in a position where he gets an offer and even if he does revert back to the Giants to say, look, I've had this offer from the Bengals, is this something they're going to consider? And they say it's too much because now he's probably in a stronger position because teams need to actually ask for the contract in which he's looking for. You see, late yeah. the rest is back with the Cowboys last night. He's recontracted. Re so the, the, the numbers of them in terms of the players and the production that they've given to the teams isn't out there. So love, I, I think Love will get paid. Interesting, yeah. I would say this, that 
at least how I've viewed it and how people have told me in the league about what's happening at safety is there are actually a lot of, it's kind of a saturated market. Like there's a lot of good safeties out there available and a lot of them around the same price point. Like if you could have Juan Thornhill from the Chiefs at 8 million, if you could have Nick Scott from the Rams at 8 million, if you could have Julian Love at safety for 8 million, these are a lot of names, uh, you know, obviously there's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with the Eagles still not signed as as of the moment you and I are talking. Um, but there are, and the Cincinnati guys, as you mentioned, were already on the market and moved. From Julian's perspective, I think he is right to think that he just had the kind of season that deserves to be rewarded because really behind the scenes too, Brian, he was a huge part of their leadership in keeping them on the straight and narrow and steady path, especially when Xavier McKinney went and did what he did and got injured during the bye week and was supposed to be a leader and it turned out made a mistake, whereas Julian takes the green dot is the leader off the field, is the leader on the field, is their leading tackler by a country mile. So I agree with him that he needs to be rewarded. What I'm not seeing, though, is whether he's getting the kind of money he's seeking on the market, partially because the market is so saturated. But let me ask you this, Brian. Let me put it to you. If Juan Thornhill from the Chiefs and Nick Scott from the Rams and a few other guys are available at that $8 million price point, would you pay Julian Love, let's say, ten or eleven million, instead of giving one of those guys eight million? If you were the general manager, honestly, I would probably veer away and go with one of the eight million players. I'm not necessarily going to highlight which one of those I, I would prefer. But yeah, the Julian Love has had a fantastic season. And you're right, and I I would even push it back to the Joe Judge days. Like he was always one of those players that came out when they were having difficult defeats, and he'd stand up on the podium and he'd you know, express his, his thoughts on the games. And he was he always came out and he's very clear and definitely a locker room type of guy. Definitely. But there was games last season that I felt, and again, I don't want to nitpick here on games, but like, those marquee games, essentially the Eagles game at home and they got blown out, the, the playoff game. Like, they were games where he was shown to me to be a little bit below the better safeties in the league. And you're right in, in touching on the fact that the McKinney situation didn't help. They have their bye week, he goes up and does what he does. He's a younger guy. He's, you know, Julian Love is married. There's a different time time frame in their lives where he, what he does the weekends in his spare time is quite different to what <laughs> Shane McKinney. But the upside, the upside of McKinney from a second round pick is, you know, you look at two players and where they're going career-wise, the upside, the upside of McKinney is significant, in my opinion, compared to, to Love. No, that and he's and McKinney's more of a ball hawk, whereas Julian Love is more in the right place all the time, reliable tackler, I I would argue more of a leader, just natural leader. But see, this is a fascinating exercise that you and I are doing there about, and this really, like fans should know this, and I know you know this, but like fans should know that, you know, all of these kind of hard conversations and, and comparisons and player comps and what you and I are doing as far as this guy from that team, what he's worth, that is what happens during these times when these tough negotiations occur. And so the players really have to try and not take it personally. But then, like, it's so interesting because you you said completely accurately that if you're the Giants and you see Love's performance in those two Eagles games, that's an easy argument on your side to say, we think you're worth something but only up to so much because X, Y, Z. Love could come back and say, you just paid Daniel Jones $82 million over two years and he didn't play well in those two games either. <laughs> right? So... That's not apples to apples. It's a quarterback. It's a safety. But, you know, there's always an argument to be made. And his agent is Drew Rosenhaus, who, as we know, is a mover and a shaker. And, Brian, just to, to put a bow on Julian, what's fascinating about him in this situation right now, as you and I talk, is Drew Rosenhaus is that kind of agent, as you know, who if he puts a big number out there on a player, even if your first reaction is, wow, that's way too much money for that player. The other part of you says, but it's Drew and he knows what he's doing. And if he's saying that number, it's because he knows that this this guy can get it somewhere. And so that's kind of the flirtation and the give and take that goes on. Um, but 
I do think I and agree with you that Julian ultimately wants to stay a giant. He just wants to be rewarded as well. But it really is a fascinating um, time for the Giants and for Joe Shane and for Brian Dable. And um, I think the headline right now, if you're a Giants fan, is the Giants know who they the, the Giants know where they need to get better and are attacking those weaknesses. And I think the difference, you know, we're twelve months removed and then from when Joe Shane came in. I found this book quite strange. Really. I read a, I read an article around around the five players that they're looking to essentially look to recontract long term, whether it, whether it's now or whether it's into the future. Obviously, Daniel Jones has got his contract. Saquon Barkley, Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney, and we would put Love in. And their five players, ironically enough, that they inherited from the Dave Gettleman <laughs> period. So right. any Giants fan who thinks about Dave Gettleman, unfortunately, just has a negative standpoint. Yeah. How it ended, as opposed to. Those players coming in, like to me, Gettleman was, and we're probably going back too far, but it looks like he right. he had a key knowing in terms of the going for the right player and having the right people to figure out who the right player was. But how he managed the financial side of things with with in terms of bringing in his guys for understanding the cap was completely off putting because you're bringing in players like Golden Tate and you're giving them twenty seven million type contracts, having only that de- <laughs> de- back and go. But strangely enough, and I can't recall the last time to. A GM and a head coach in sync come into an organization in the first year with a situation where they're inheriting your quarterback, and they say, "Yeah, well, we're basically saying he's got a year to make make himself stay here or prove himself." I can't recall the situation where the following year, and whenever about not picking up the future year option, but the following year to be getting the contract in which he did, and for those guys to come full circle essentially and say, "Well, you were at that press conference at the end of the season where Joe Shane pretty much said." He's our quarterback. We can shoot a fat over how we're going to do it and how to, what the contract's going to look like. But we're telling you now, at a few days after our defeat to the Eagles in, in the playoffs, he's our quarterback next season. Right. You, you you go back 12 months ago and he's saying, look, let's see where we're at. And even at that opening press conference, you had people asking questions of John Maryville, whether they were going to be in for show much. And obviously they were never going to be in, in that sweepstakes. But you go from that situation to 12 months. So I mean, it's, it's far cry. You don't see that very often in the league. Yeah, no, you hit. You were right on point that if there is a number one positive so far about the Joe Shane Brian Dable era, it is that they are in sync. It is that they have they walk in lockstep. That communication and chemistry is something that is important for any organization, and that the Giants felt was very important coming off of where they did with the Dave Gettleman regime. You had Pat Shermer, you had Joe Judge. I will say that while there are players that Gettleman drafted and helped draft during his tenure that certainly look like very good players now, I think that as a team builder, he was throwing darts at a board. And the reason that they stayed bad and stayed as one of the worst teams in the NFL for years under his watch was for that reason. It was because he did not draft well throughout the draft. It was because his free agent signings, by and large, to a man, were disasters. As you pointed out, you mentioned Golden Tate. You know, you had Nate Solder, which was an overpay. Patrick Omame, Kareem Martin, um, you know, Jonathan Stewart. I mean, we could just go all the way, <laughs> all the way down the list. Even the way the Odell situation was handled, re-signing him, then trading him, drafting Saquon while a good player. The positional value of that, the use of that asset when in that draft you could have traded back a couple slots and gotten Quentin Nelson plus more picks or traded back and gotten a quarterback plus more picks. The decision to stay with Eli Manning for that extra year and really put this franchise back at least three years. Those were all the things. And then by the end, Joe Judge really taking on the whole program himself uh, because the general manager could not be relied upon. So there is a lot to Dave Gettleman not being a good general manager. Obviously, he also selected DeAndre Baker in the first round, traded up for him. You mentioned, though, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas. Um, You know, these guys, these guys are foundational players. Is Daniel Jones number one, six or number six pick good yet? I mean, we could have that debate as well. He is a well-rounded person, leader, quarterback for sure. Um I think that Joe Shane and Dable, what they are here to do now is to build on this, on those few players, but really create their own foundation. And how do you do that? 
You do that by managing the salary cap well, as you said. You do that by acquiring young players who you can grow with and develop. And that's why I, if I'm a Giants fan, I like Darren Waller in a blue uniform. I like Bobby Okereke in a u- blue uniform. I like those ideas. But what I want them to stay committed to is cost-effective additions of young players that can continue to grow. Because frankly, Brian, it's not. it shouldn't be as important to the Giants to win the NFC East in 2023 and try to rush something that isn't ready. What should be important is that by 2024, they are ready to take off. Because I know there's no patience in the NFL nowadays from ownership on down for coaches and general managers to turn these big oil tankers around, but that's what it is. You know, it's so difficult to just up and go. So I think they need to be cognizant of the fact that they're getting closer, but that they're still not there yet, and they need to keep that process in place. Because as long as Joe Shane and Brian Dable are able to execute the plan they came in and told John Mara they wanted to do in the first place, I think they could be on the right track. I think what concerns Giants fans is, and it's always something that's in the back of our heads, is if you recall the 2016 season, which they went to, were really aggressive. And I, I wouldn't compare it. There's no way we can compare what they're doing there as we touched on this strategic-type moves within the, the schemes that they want to play and the bright players. They went out and spent aggressively, and there was that immediate success that year where they went to the playoffs, and then obviously the, the guys went on the boat to, to Miami, and then they had the playoff game, and it didn't work out. I think they're still born from that, in a, in a way, because you're right, you, you want to hit the ground running in 2024, but you want sustained success. Like you want consistently to be going to the playoffs or at least being, you know, come December playing meaningful football and be in a position to, whether it's a wild card or whether you're challenging for the division come the end of December going into early January. Consistent, year, year in, year out. Because you see other teams throughout the course of the league and you see what the Eagles with Harry Roseman have done essentially over the last few years. Joyce Valls won't want to hear it, but that's the bottle essentially that we need to be geared. Yeah. They have now put themselves in a position where even today, for example, on Good Morning Football, they're looking at the players in which they've lost and they're looking at what the Cowboys have done, Washington and the, and the Giants. And yet, you know, come September, no matter what the circumstances are, with the players they've lost, and understandably, every Super Bowl team, whether they win the Super Bowl or not, lose players because of players want to get paid or, and there's always different predicaments and reasons. But you know, come September, the Eagles will be there again and they will be challenging for the division. But hopefully that's the mantle in which the Giants need to get to be in a position that are not just trying to Scrape, you know, it's the seventh seed or the sixth seed to beat them. We're coming to say, we're playing the Eagles at home, we're playing the Eagles on the road. And the, the game is purposeful in the sense that they can win it to win the division. And Brian, what I like about Daniel Jones's contract in relation to the point you just made is that they rewarded the player, but they did not commit to him past two years. Now, why is that important? To me, it's important because, again, you mentioned 2016. When you look at the 16, 17, 18, that period, the Giants' number one mistake was marrying themselves to Eli Manning for too long. They loved Eli. We all love Eli. He was great for the franchise, wins you two Super Bowls, but it was time. They stick with him too long, and it compromises the way that they're able to build their team and the way they're able to move on and and try to sustain something new. Daniel Jones is much younger. He's not Eli Manning, but in the sense that he's the Giants guy. They drafted him. They know a lot about him. They love him. If they were to have committed themselves with guaranteed money to him for four or five years, I would have said, oh no, they're not giving themselves a chance to still find out if he can take that next step. They've already made that decision with kind of half information on whether that's the case. The fact that they rewarded Jones as the guy in the short term They're giving him weapons to do it now, but they can get out of this after the 2024 year, I think helps the process you are saying needs to occur, which is keep pushing forward, keep pushing that boulder up the hill, keep making sure that not only are you evolving with the Eagles and Cowboys, uh, you know, these teams that you've struggled to beat in division that you're trying to get ahead of, but also that you are leaving the door open to upgrading the quarterback position, which really is all that matters, right? Like the Eagles, they won that Super Bowl. They start falling off for a lot of reasons, but mainly they didn't have great quarterback play. They end up taking a chance on Jalen Hurts. He turns into one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Suddenly they're back in the Super Bowl. 
So the Giants need Daniel Jones to take that step. If he doesn't, and I, I say I couch this with I'm not saying the Giants are drafting a quarterback soon. I'm not saying that definitely. But Brian, the way that the contract is structured, it is not crazy to say if Daniel Jones had a bad 2023 season, like a very bad one, one that makes the Giants say, oh, you know what? We made a mistake paying him. This contract was structured smartly enough by the team where they could conceivably draft a quarterback in 2024. Like they would have the ability to do that because they're not they're not married to Jones for three more seasons, right? So I'm not saying that's the plan. Obviously, you give a guy $82 million a year or $82 million over two years, your plan is not to replace him soon. But they have given themselves some flexibility when it comes to how to address the most important position on the team so that they're not locking themselves into something if it doesn't work. Of course, the hope as a Giants fan and as Joe Shane and Brian Dable is that Jones plays so well that this contract ends up looking like a bargain and then it works out for everybody, right? It works out for the quarterback and it works out for the team. So that's the obviously the ultimate hope. Yeah, as one reporter said your day, if the Giants don't have a good 2023 season, and somehow they're in a position to, to draft Kevin Williams. It's happening. We went out the circumstances of the Jones. And then, as you say, it would be a gradual situation where, you know, he read short for a year potentially. And then, but the upside of him could be just too much that so you'd have to move away. If the Giants were in that position, then Daniel Jones realistically has had a very bad year. Because the one thing I would say about the coaching with, with Dave, this does determine, which is very evident in the league, coaching manners. And, I would be stunned if, if Brian Dable didn't put out a team that was at least we have to achieve seven to eight wins. Give or take. I know every season can vary injuries and all the rest, but judging by what you've seen from so far, it would be a stunner for most if they were to be in a situation where they're picking top five in, in the draft niche. Yeah, it would be it would be tough to swallow. I will say this, Brian, I don't know how many wins it's worth, but the entire NFC East benefited from a pretty favorable schedule last season. And I'm not just saying the Giants. I'm saying the Eagles and the fact that they nearly ran the table, you know, all that. Like, the NFC East schedule was easier last year. It's not going to be easy this year. And so, yes, that granted, that means the same for the Eagles and the Cowboys in Washington as it does for the Giants. But you bring up a great point, which is that Dable clearly, if there was one thing he added to the team that wasn't here prior, it was an offensive acumen, a way to look at a player on the offense at whatever position and say, how do I best use this player to keep him away from his weaknesses and use his strengths? And we saw the results of that on the field. But even the, even so, it wasn't like they were explosive. They were just competent, right? So the, So you want to take that next step into explosive. So that's one thing you're looking for, win or loss. You want this offense now to look explosive. And also... And I don't know, I'm curious where you where you are on Daniel Jones here, where I think a lot of people around the league were s- still surprised by him getting to 40 on the average of this deal um, based on the fact that they felt great season, but let me see it again and let me see more before I pay you. And the Giants giving him that money reflects that they didn't need to see more to pay him. Do you think that this season needs to, that you need to see more to feel like you made the right call paying him? Or do you feel like the Daniel Jones you saw last season, if Brian Dable can keep making the pieces fit, is enough? I would. I don't think he has to have a massive uplift for people to be satisfied that what's been paid out is satisfactory. But you kind of get the sense and you're at the games, he's now the man. He's now the guy where he's not going to get away with the support, the fans in the stands going three and outs for three or four times in the game and then being in the game in the fourth quarter and then finding a way to win. Like we did against the Ravens, for example, in October, the week after the London game, where they were down with 10 points, 10 minutes to go. They haven't moved the ball with the exception of one drive in the game. They got themselves in the position. There was the interception from Julian Love and they went and won that game. I'm pinpointing one game, but there was other games. Jacksonville, he plays well at the start. He doesn't do an effort the second and third, second and third quarter. Comes alive again in the fourth, finds a way to win. I don't think that's going to satisfy Giants fans. They would expect a huge upward turn, consistent play throughout the course of the games and putting the team on his, on his back for large parts of the game as opposed to maybe a drive at the end of the game. Just on the contract, I would circle back to what you said about True Rosenhaus in the sense of 
when this all kicked off around four weeks ago and this 40 million number came out in, the, in general consensus in, in the public domain, everybody's like, he's a there off their, there off their heads. They're, they're, they're. But gradually, as the weeks went on, it, it kind of all of a sudden became real. And I'm like, okay, you're right, the contract can be restructured in a way, so what's clearly called out and it doesn't necessarily reflect the, the detail of the contract. But it's to what you said earlier, you know, the Giants may start at 35, he's starting at 42, and you try to gradually get to a general consensus where it's a cultural number for everybody, but this is down to the negotiation skill set of, of an agent. And he swapped agents and, and companies, maybe he felt he wasn't going to have the right people to explore that opportunity for him, but <clears throat> I suppose he's got what he wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, the Giants have got what he wanted in the sense of what was the alternative? Right, not only did the Giants were ever going to rip it up and say, you know, if he had been tagged, I think that would have been the worst situation because generally if he was tagged, Darren Waters not coming in, uh, O'Karakey's not coming in, Saquon is walking. That's that would have been the, that would have been to me would have been the biggest insult to Giants fans having gone through what we've gone through in terms of you know a successful season. Yeah. But um that's where I say, but what was the alternative? Like I look at Derek Carr going to the Saints. To me it's still a good move. But they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo. I would have thought that the Raiders were going Surely for me, I don't want to get the Raiders talk, but like, it made sense for me if that happened. If they if they took a quarterback in their pick in the draft, they may still do that. To me, it kind of feels like they know the other four are going to be gone, and that's why they've gone to Jimmy G. Jimmy G. Bird. And not a Raiders fans are saying, what's the point of leaving Derek, losing Derek Carr when all you're getting retorted is Jimmy G. Essentially, as a starting quarterback. So I just didn't I didn't see any other quarterback out there. And there's the narrative then as well that people say Brian Davin is so good. He could essentially take a quarterback and do a lift and shift and still have a successful season because that quarterback will fit into what he wants. I'm not convinced of that. I'm not convinced of that either. I'm glad you said that. I think the difference between the Raiders and the Giants in the position you just painted is that the the Raiders have a draft pick that might allow them to draft a quarterback and the Giants don't unless they trade all the way up. And that is kind of, to your point, how they walk themselves into a situation of what's the alternative having the number 25 overall pick in the NFL draft was not, I say this, you know, seriously, but also like, listen, they're glad they made the playoffs and won a playoff game, but it wasn't the plan to have the number 25 pick. They thought based on what their team was, based on how little money they had to spend, based on who they were as an organization, as a roster, where they were, they thought they were going to have a top 10 pick. And so obviously they were trying to win games, trying not to do that. But that's how it was trending. It was trending like this is just a tear it up year. You know, we're not going to be in a position at the trade deadline to make all kinds of additions and try to go for it, even if we are uh, looking like a really good team. And obviously, they end up selling off a piece in Kadarius Tony at the deadline and good work on Joe Shane flipping that pick for Darren Waller in that trade with the Raiders. But I think the Raiders do end up drafting a quarterback as well as Jimmy G. And again, what we come down to, Brian, is this idea of expectations. What is the owner's expectations? What are the fans' expectations? What are the GM's and coaches' expectations? Because it ha- it all has to align, which again is why the Giants feel really good about where they are, that the coach and the GM are on the same page. But when you're talking about Mark Davis and the Raiders, are the Raiders a team that needs to win now to protect the GM's job, protect the head coach's job? Maybe there is some pressure, but is the roster ready for that? A lot of people, I think, would tell you it is not. Even though they have some key players there, they have Max Crosby, they have Chandler Jones, you got Josh Jacobs now on the tag, uh, you have Devontae Adams, that the roster is still not strong enough. They need to fortify it. They need to add more. So how do you address that? Well, if you have a high pick, you can sign a Jimmy G for smarter, smaller money than what Daniel Jones is getting in New York because you also have the flexibility and the positioning in the draft now to go get that quarterback and still not compromise all of your assets that you're trying to use to build up the depth on your defense, the depth on your offense, get some more key players, sign Jacoby Myers. So that's the fascinating difference between one team that feels like it might be in a similar position to the other, but this one has a high pick and this one doesn't. It also doesn't help they're in the same division as Super Bowl champions who don't seem to be (laughs) Going anywhere. Final question for you, and it's not around players. It's it's actually around the coaching standpoint because I look at the division as a whole right now, and uh, the Cowboys have moved on. Callum Moore, he's gone off. He's a charge. He was picked up very quickly. 
Cowboys fans, some Cowboys fans blame him. Some Cowboys fans blame Mike McCarthy. There's probably a balancing act there. You see Washington, to me, they're, they're always in the same trucks. And if they didn't have the background noise in terms of how the organisation is run, I generally yeah. run very would be would be gone when he was as head coach. Because despite winning that division the year which we spoke about, where the Giants had a poor record, but still found their way to be in a position to win the division at the end. Despite winning the division, it was it was a losing record season from yeah. Washington. You've got the Eagles who've lost quite a lot of players on defence and they've lost their offence coordinator and their defence coordinator. How important do you believe it was for the Giants the fact that they kept hold of Kafka second year for Daniel Jones? First year, first time in his, in his career the Giants really enough the same coordinator and the same offence going into another year and obviously the job in which Wink Martindale has done and look for a period of time he may have been in the position to go to the Colts. So for, for Giants fans it's a huge relief to see both of them stay. Agree. I think uh, continuity is not just important in the GM and head coaches' seats. It's also important at the coordinator level. I do think that, and uh, you know, I was writing this throughout the year last year as I was with the team day in and day out. Martindale's hiring, because obviously the initial plan was Pat Graham, and then he bolts for Vegas. Getting Martindale on board, I, I thought Pat Graham was a good coach too, but getting Martindale on board was, to me, the X factor to last season. Dable and Kafka, you have them creative on offense, putting guys in a position to succeed. Wasn't always going to be 30 points per game, but it was going to be competent. But on defense, Martindale and his unit changed the calculus, to use the, the phrase that Sal Palantonio, my friend at ESPN, predicted was going to happen. He changed the calculus in the division by attacking all of these quarterbacks by putting pressure on them, by putting pressure on the Giants' opponents early in the season, and by instilling a confidence, frankly, Brian, that the Giants needed as a team and as a defense. And their their hot start was mainly due to what the defense was able to do early. The offense put contributed. Saquon obviously was his at his best at the beginning of the year. Uh, but really, the defense kind of carried them through that best stretch. So what does it mean to them to have them back? It means everything from a standpoint of Daniel Jones, who had all of these different offensive coordinators throughout his career. You know, Pat Shermer and Mike Shula. You had Jason Garrett. Um, you had Freddie Kitchens. And now he comes to this point where he last year was trying to prove himself again, learning a new offense, again, talking to a new person in the room, again, having new conversations with new faces, people he doesn't have relationships with that he has to build. That's really challenging. And so Daniel Jones's best defense and argument for taking off this year is what you just cited. Consistency in coaching, consistency in system, consistency in who you're working with day in and day out. So it means a lot. And I think that they have a coaching advantage when you look at, to your point, Ron Rivera and Washington, Dable is going to outcoach him, you know, or should outcoach him any day of the week. Uh, Mike McCarthy, a great offensive mind, not a great game manager. manager. Nick Sirianni, did a fantastic job, but loses his two coordinators. So from the Giants' end, you have to see this as a win on a coaching level. One NFC East thing I wanted to mention, Ryan, before we get out of here, watch Washington at the quarterback position. Uh, Rivera's on the hot seat. You mentioned that he would be gone already if the ownership was stable or Snyder had any power. That's absolutely correct. And he needs to get it right now or it's not going to happen. They were in on Matt Stafford when he was with Detroit before he got traded to the Rams. I don't know if it's going to be Stafford, but you look at Washington now where they have Sam Howell as their quarterback at the moment. Taylor Heineke's gone even. They're going to do something at quarterback. I know Matt Stafford. Uh, the word in the league is that he's going to be traded. It's more, managed, uh, it's more a matter of when, not if. So I would keep an eye on quarterbacks and maybe even Stafford for Washington. Um you know, will that change the the fact that the Giants constantly beat down on Washington? Um, we'll see. But um, I do think you're right on that. The Giants coaching gives them an advantage. It was put out on our live show last night that Lamar Jackson this evening, her time was essentially being in a position to start negotiating with teams. How ironic would it be if Sloan's parting gift to Washington was to be to somehow child is incredible contract to Lamar where the Ravens are just not going to because bear in mind the where where the, the location it's not too far from each other you know it wouldn't be yeah. 
big move for him in terms of the, the you know logistics and stuff that maybe he gets a massive contract and maybe he sees the NFC East as an opportunity. It probably sounds a bit bizarre, but you just never know in this NFL. Hey, if he leaves, if he leaves Baltimore, I think it would be for Miami. Because I don't buy for a second that the Dolphins aren't still looking to upgrade their quarterback position. Um, but that'll be fascinating as well to watch with Lamar. And if L- Miami doesn't get him, maybe it's Tom Brady. Because no one believes Brady now when he says he's fully done after him coming back the first time. This just become old news. Pat, before, before we let you go, um, your podcast, the Talking Ball podcast, do you want to give our, our audience a, kind of a, a little piece around that? Yeah, yeah. So thanks for letting me do that. Yeah, Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. It's my podcast. Launched it um, this past season, 2022, with the Believe Network. And we do at least one, sometimes two podcasts a week. Uh, they're solo podcasts. There's plenty with featured guests from Benny Fowler, former Super Bowl champion, Sal Palantonio, ESPN, Mike Lombardi, former GM, Greg Cosell. Uh, that is one of my latest up now. If you go listen to that, Greg and I dug deep into the wide receiver class for this NFL draft and also talked about quarterbacks like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Really, Brian, it's just an opportunity to talk a lot of Giants for all you Giants fans out there because I'm with the Giants every day covering them for the New York Daily News, but also to get into all of the league-wide issues, the biggest stories going on in the NFL every week because that's where my conversations on the phone and text and phone calls lead with sources around the league. And as as the NFL columnist of the Daily News as well, always staying up to date on the biggest stories, which of course right now the biggest story is Aaron Rodgers, the New York Jets, and him dragging that situation into oblivion. So we always have the latest on Talking Ball, and um, it's been an honor to come on your podcast here and uh, to start Talking Ball with you as well. Pat, as you know from our show, we cover the league as a whole, so I don't get very many opportunities to discuss joints and footy folks on joints, so I really appreciate your time. And we went 51 minutes before Aaron Rodgers got mentioned. I told you we to get out of here, and it didn't happen. I'm going to close out on that note. Everybody was Pat McAfee show later on when he announces. Can he announce it? Because he's on the contract with the Packers, so how can he announce it? Aaron Rodgers seems to be the only guy that can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I think he can. Um, what, he, what he intends to do, I believe, is to confirm whether he's going to okay a, okay a trade and say, I want to play for the Jets, or can you imagine, and we're, we're recording this before he goes on, obviously, can you imagine him going on Pat McAfee's show and saying, I'm retiring? I mean, that would just be the ultimate, ultimate ridiculous scene. Twitter would explode. I fear for every Jets fan in the world, whether it's in the Ireland, UK, Europe, the States, if that was to happen, because I do genuinely do not know where to go for a quarterback after that. Pat, it's been a pleasure. I hope to have you on again near the draft and we can discuss where the Giants are going to go with that late pick in the first round. Hope so, Brian. Yeah, thanks again. Talk soon.